1: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse.
2: The
3: biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today.
0: Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County.
1: Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org.
2: Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK.
3: Yo, what's happening Rush Nation? We're back. It's not Thursday. Apologies. It's Friday. My uh, internet provider decided that the box at the end of my road would blow up yesterday, so we couldn't do yesterday. We're back on Friday. Listen, we never let you hang for more than a day. We got your backs in quarantine. Murph and I are joined by an absolutely stellar guest but before we get to today's guest big man as always how you doing
2: good it's friday it's the end of the week um in the words of ross tucker it's uh, almost time for some daddy sodas so um looking forward to having uh having a, a beer with dinner i think and uh yeah looking forward to kicking off for a few days it's been a productive week and it's uh, always nice when it's sunny on a friday and you can kick back for the weekend how are you sir?
3: Me, I'm good. I don't know. Surely you've seen the rain this afternoon, right? <laughs> or have you been shot oh, yeah, to that yeah. screen? I, no,
2: I sit near a window, but like at the end of the day, it's. <laughs> I don't mind sitting inside watching rain, but it's sunny now.
3: No, no, it is. It, to be fair, it is sunny right now. Yeah. So no, it's hey, fine. Yeah. I'm good. It's, uh... I'm
2: positive, being breezy.
3: Being breezy, especially <laughs> with the weekend coming along. Cause...
2: That's it. Spilling those positive vibes to everyone listening.
3: Spoiler alert, When uh, not spoiler alert, but a deep dive dive into the podcast. Murph did pop onto Zoom with a beach setting behind him with gentle lapping waves, sunshine and a palm tree. So Murph's all about the Friday. But listen, Rush Nation, we're going to introduce you to today's guest. Now, draft season's around the corner and we thought, who can we get on that knows? Well, personally, I consider him to know more about the draft from reading his book than anybody else out there, including Murph, who seems to fill me with knowledge every time we talk. Rush Nation, Matt Waldman is here from the RSP cast. He's also the author of the Rookie Scouting Profile, a.k.a. the largest bit of paper to drop on your desk if it was a real thing. Matt, welcome to Five Yard Rush, buddy.
0: How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. And I'm, I'm glad that you haven't printed it up because I think one day if I walk through a park, if karma were right and i did print this up to sell that trees would be attacking me and trying to fall on me to, to end me and that would be a, a rightful death probably for me at that point has anybody it's, ever printed it Must yes be. i've had some people say they've tried and they've broken their copiers <laughs> they've broken their printers <laughs> i've i've had i've printed portions they've said they've tried to bind it and the bind and people came back and said we can't bind this we're gonna have to do it in several se- separate things and Yeah. I've heard all those types of stories and I try to warn people, just don't do it. Just, just enjoy having it as a PDF. It'll be okay.
2: Absolutely, especially now you can put it on an e-reader. So that's what I did. I just put it on my Kindle. Um, and luckily you're, you're one of those people that managed to, despite it being a near 1200 pages long spoiler alert, um, (laughs) you've made the file small enough to where you can actually transfer it onto Kindle via email, as opposed to having to like hook up your Kindle and trying to do it that way, which is with a couple of draft guides I've, um, given or had privilege of, of receiving from people um it's definitely a lot easier to to just send it via email which is a great thing so i'm,
0: I'm good an old a man an old man kind of figured out some technology maybe so that maybe i just look older than i am maybe that's probably what it is. <laughs> that's, but, Savvy, but Take savvy. is i'm glad to hear
2: yeah no, very easy to do so um yeah real pleasure having you on i've been following your content and then uh really enjoying the the rsp this year it's uh I mean I'm I'm not even I think I'm only about like 15% of the way in <laughs> and I feel like I feel like oh I'm really making strides I look at the little reader at the bottom it's like yeah oh, okay but um that means I just got a, a heck of a lot more great content to to read so I'm excited to be reading it over the next few months that's for sure um but I guess what would be a really good place to start is a little bit about how you got into talking about football college football and and just analyzing tape and and how you basically got into doing this for for a living
0: yeah I mean I've been doing this for 15 years now it's gone by fast and in many respects um I was I started out as wanting to be a jazz musician when I was younger and and so I went to school for that for a few years and I used to play gigs in Miami Florida and play in Latin bands and big bands and things like that and And then I eventually um, transferred to the University of Georgia and was studying journalism for a very short period of time. I covered the UGA football team for a little bit just for our school newspaper. Ended up finishing as a literature major. Um, And because, you know, being a literature major, either you're going to go to graduate school and become a professor um, or you're going to be working in a call center. I started working in a call center earlier and decided that's what I was going to do. I worked my way trying to figure out what I wanted to do, you know, and I was doing some writing and doing some freelance work. And that, that part-time job of, you know, selling children's books to people as a telemarketer and, and doing that kind of thing evolved into call center, inbound customer service center work. Where I became, um, you know, within the span of 10 years, I ended up being a director for one of the oldest and largest firms that did that and became an operations manager for, you know, 35 to, you know, 25 to 3,500 hours per week of, of um, employees and teams. And I had to learn about how to train people, how to evaluate um, performance. And I had success with that. And I eventually became a quality director for this company that had about 73 branches and about 10,000 employees. And I was responsible for developing the the monitoring and, and evaluation and training and development programs for these employees who were working on the telephone and working with supervisors and managers and regional managers and VPs on this type of stuff. And I got, um, a certain level of, um, what would you call them? certification for um, best practices for doing that, the, what world-class performers do in, in terms of the corporate world and and also the um, manufacturing sectors on how to monitor performance. So I learned about all these things, and I was still writing part-time. I loved football. I grew up loving football. And I started getting into fantasy football, just playing it um, with my coworkers and, and people that I knew, and I got hooked. And then I started writing about it because we'd see these fantasy football magazines and thought we could do some of that. So some of my friends were actually writing for some sites that became big sites. Um, and they were writing for them on the ground level. And I started thinking about doing that. And I did that for a little bit for a site called football guys for, I wrote like a couple of freelance articles and I said, would you like to do more? And I said, no, I don't think I want to. And so then I, I didn't do it for a while. And then I, Looked up with a, a site later on called FF today and started writing for them a few years later. And I, I started realizing that I could apply what I do to evaluate people in my day job to what I, to evaluating rookie talent. And while, and because the process of that is about helping you learn um, what it is that, you know, you need to know, you become more knowledgeable with that process and it's a, it's designed to continue evolving Um, while also trying to um, objectify as much subjective material as possible. I became a little bit more successful with being able to gain knowledge of the game using that process and adjusting it to those four positions that I study um, in the rookie scouting portfolio. And it's just grown over the years to the point now that this is a full-time job for me. And I've been fortunate enough to get feedback from, um, NFL scouts and from people and football players and from, you know, people in manage in personnel management in the NFL who buy my book. And now I'm, you know, I, I hear from recruiters who say that, you know, Dane Brugler and I, our books are probably the two more most read by scouts when it comes to independent scouting guides that they want to just look at and cross check information. And, um, it's been a wild ride that way, you know, in terms of how I got into doing this and, and I write full time for football guys as well. Um, and I'm their, their senior staff writer and I cover, you know, I, I do film reviews of NFL games and kind of give them an idea, kind of do some instructional type of stuff talking about, you know, how, how, why this player projects to be good, you know, for this year and what the teams are trying to do. And then, and then I do the full time scouting, work and that's the majority of you know my living is is selling the rsp
2: that's amazing i um, had the privilege of listening to you tell the slightly longer version of that story with mark schofield on your podcast i'm going to share that out on our handle because i think anybody who has a real passion for something and can find a way to move forward with that passion such as you know we have mark on the show he told us about um his life as a lawyer and he was not getting the the satisfaction out of it that he hoped for and a few other bits and pieces and just the way you two had that conversation it was a good sort of 20 25 minutes i think you had on one of your parts and um i strongly urge well i'm going to share it out for for people to listen to because i i mean i'm i'm blessed enough to where i love my day job i i work in a Mm -hmm sister side way to uh, what you were doing is I do enterprise software sales so I speak to businesses and get them to to buy software and I'm lucky enough to work for startups so I get a lot of fulfillment out of watching companies grow and being part of that and it's why I wouldn't give up my my day job because I do love it enough but I get enough time and passion doing this as as effectively a side hustle right to,
1: that's um, good. that's good
2: so it gives me a full well-rounded balance of of everything with with family time and and luckily none of that at this moment suffers <laughs> if, give it five ten years we'll see what happens but so far so good um but i just think if you if you're in that place where you you love something so much and you're not loving what you're doing you've you've got to make a change even if it's not the direct upwards to where you want to get to, but you do a, a sideways or apprenticeship or whatever you can do.
0: Yeah. And it takes, a, you're right. And it takes, and it can take time. I mean, when I first started doing the rookie scouting portfolio, I didn't think I'd be doing this for a living. I mean, I did it. And, and I did have a feeling like this could be something. I don't really know what it might be for me, but you know, I, I loved football so much. And I thought really what I wanted to do was right. I thought I would probably maybe, Get back into journalism on some level or maybe I would write fiction and I and I've had some interest with doing some things like that and and um, I thought well football would be the easiest thing to get my confidence up because I, I enjoy football I know football I could you know write some articles and I feel like I could get back into that and give me a way to do it part-time while I was still having a career and had responsibilities And it just continued to grow in a way that I didn't imagine. And I was at the right place at the right time in many ways. And, you know, it's not an attempt to try and be modest about it, because I think anybody, whether they're way more talented than I am or whether they're less talented than I am, for something to work, you do have to be at the right place at the right time sometimes. And I was at the point where fantasy football was starting to grow and take the mainstream. I got in just before that happened. I got in just before the everyone really started to have internet in their homes. Um, you know, so having the combination of that was very helpful. And then the draft was still kind of this very niche type of thing when I started. And even though people would first look at my product and go, you never played professional football. You were never a scout. and But they my work resonated and I was able to learn the game on a level that I could borrow a lot from my previous work. You know, being a musician, being someone who studied literature, someone who has worked in a corporate environment and worked in operations and worked with clients and worked in quality and understood all these different dynamics of hiring, you know, recruiting, hiring, training people and having to deal with all the different politics that happen in, in regular work life. I mean, the, the office is a brilliant piece of comedy and so true in, in, in many respects of what, um, you know, corporate world work can be like. And I I used to relate a lot of that in my writing to what I'd see in the NFL and go, I recognize this. This is, you know, the NFL, you know, you have a coach saying this, or you have an owner saying this and the media is saying these types of things. And I used to write about that. And especially in my book and the, um, and one of the scouts that I knew who had worked with dozens of teams and had done a lot of, interesting work in the league and was now a contractor he said i've been buying your book for you know this was in 2011 he said i've been buying your book for five years and while you you're still learning as a scout and your your process is great he said like the nfl is behind in their process because again they're so insulated in what they do and he said and your process is based on world class um you know methods and it shows and you're learning at a faster rate than what maybe some people otherwise would be. And he said, but the thing that impressed me the most is you'd write about these teams and you'd write about what's going on. And I thought this guy had to have worked in the league because he's like dead on and everything that's said in the media is not, but he's dead on about this stuff. And he, and he asked and, and and then he realized it was that you just worked in the, you were in the working world and you understood how these things going down and you made the application. And I think a lot of that is, Having that training of not science, but actually like looking at literature and looking at story and making combination, you know, scouting is much more poetry and literature than it is science. I mean, there's, and it's a craft. And so, you know, it's interesting that, you know, my book has a lot of more analytically oriented types of processes in place in some regards. But when it comes down to it, it's about how you interpret that information and how you also see the human element and things and combine a lot of things together and you know hopefully that's what makes it compelling for people um and you know it, it's just ironic that a, that a you know a bat you know a, a, a literature student is basically doing this type of stuff
2: and it does come through it definitely comes so you have your very specific uh, sort of analytical anecdotes and then you, you start when you start talking about the way that they play whether it's footwork whether it's motion whether it's you know the technique that's where I think the poetry comes in because um, and we'll get onto some of the the sidelines of of things that we'll bring up that are in the book Um, but it's just the way that you describe it for people that perhaps don't come from that kind of background of watching football their life such as people over here in the UK it is it still takes comprehension and I think you but it's such a great way to learn. I've learned so much already just from picking up players Mm. that you talk about going and finding some clips and then trying to apply that and go, okay, that's what he means. That makes sense to me now. And then you can start to recognize it more. And it's kind of, I think for people here in the UK, where I think the RSP has a real place is for people who really want to become a football nerd, because we don't have that 10 15 20 years of growing up watching it as a kid you were kind of playing on the on the on the catch up fantasy football is a really good way because you start to understand the value of things and and how it works but actually by reading the profiles of players with the detail that you give them you end up understanding how important footwork is how important reads are how important the different steps in the drop and what the impact that is for a quarterback versus the different way that a player might recognize lanes when they're running with the football versus the way that a receiver might you know make a specific cut or the way they handle the ball you know it's those sorts of things that distinct people that watch the game and people who know the game and I think if you really want to become a nerd that your books are really good way to to
0: do that well that's a I, I i love hearing that and it's great and it's one of the reasons that it's so enjoyable to be, get a chance to do this with readers and fans who are outside the u.s because what i've also discovered is that when i get to talk with gentlemen such as yourself and 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 people from other from other nations who are interested in this and have me out for a podcast they tend to get to approach it from a, a fresh level of this is something that I need to learn and learn more about. And so there's even a, I would even say there's a little more humility, even in the process of learning the game, because I've even joked in some of my articles that, you know, I have a, one of my first articles on the, my website was, um, you know, um, what's it, what do I call it? Um, losing your football innocence. And it's about how to watch the game from that type of eye and and how i joke that most people are football geniuses until they start really studying the game and then they realize they're more football idiots mm-hmm. and you know and it's the idea that you know especially in the us because we grew up with this game so many people feel like they know everything about it and it's just that way with in human nature it's just like you know everybody's now you know Im- immunologists Everyone here is epidemiologists. Everyone here are political experts, depending on what's going on in the news. You know, everyone's an expert in something. And in football, it's always been that way. So, you know, getting a chance to talk with you guys and, and I tend to find that people outside the country are on the whole... The more people I talk to outside the country tend to know more about the game, mm-hmm. oftentimes, than the people inside my own country.
2: And it's funny because I've caught up with... um the guys who host the Around the NFL podcast and they said exactly the same thing. I was speaking to Chris Wessling about this and he was telling me that actually people know more in this country. People are more devoted as fans because of the fact we stay up till one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. At, which we know more because we're more invested. It's so easy to turn on the television at one o'clock in the afternoon and watch something that you like and enjoy. But it's always there. It's always available for you. Whether it's, if you're watching, uh, you know, I watched a Monday night game two years ago, the Buccaneers with Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Pittsburgh. I mean, you're not watching that game unless you're a, a diehard yeah. fan of either team, because you've got work Tuesday morning. It's on at one thirty in the morning that runs to about four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Like you're only watching those games. If, if
0: you have, the, as we joke, you have the illness. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you're one of us. If you have the illness, because when you, when I started this book, the first thing that I did is I didn't, um, You know, I I was still working in management and doing the things that I was doing. And and it was like, um, I still had a lot of players to watch and it was March and I thought I was going to get this thing out in April. And, you know, it was in 2006 and um, I'd bought a TiVo recorder um, to record all these games, uh, college games, and I hadn't watched them because I was busy and, you know, I had to commit life commitments. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I need to see what this is going to be like. So I rented a hotel room um, in the town of Athens, Georgia, where the University of Georgia is where I used to live. And I rented this hotel for a week and I brought my PC, I brought my desk chair, I brought, um, you know, I brought, I don't know why I did, I brought a novel thinking that I was going to actually going to (laughs) have some time to read. And I, and I locked, and I locked myself away from my family and literally did nothing but watch game after game after game to see how I would feel about doing this. And I spent I, I logged the hours because I wanted to see how many hours I do. I, I watched 129 hours worth of um, of work. I didn't that much work in a week. I, I just ordered takeout and literally just had it delivered to my door or delivery take ordered to my door to my hotel room and worked and didn't come out. I didn't even have the car. Like my my um, you know my family had the car and I just was there and I just walked downtown just to get some air for 30 minutes and then come back in and and work. And I thought, I'm either going to hate this and never want to do it again, or I'm going to love it. But I need to find out because this is what my life will be like if this is what I really want to do. And I finished, and while I was tired, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I thought, oh my goodness, I do. I have the sickness. This is is something I have to do, and I'm going to keep doing it. And um, it's worked out. And yeah, sometimes it's like having your you know, having your favorite meal and and having it every single day, served three times a day, there's a point where you're like, I could sure use a salad or just an apple or something simple, you know, and rather than this plate full of whatever it is that you, you like and, you you know, but you learn, to, you know, it's still a privilege and you still get it, you find inventive ways to really enjoy it and I still love it just as much as I have before, I just don't other things, you can see behind me is a is a painted on kind of blackboard that I can draw dry erase stuff on. And I just finished erasing it because I'm updating my wide receiver criteria for my checklist, um, for next year. Um, and this, and th- and all that information I got was from a, um, a wide receivers coach who works with NFL players, um, that I'm going to use for criteria that I wanted to straighten out for the past three to four years. And it's been on my board for a, well over a year. And I just r- literally finished erasing, like, 90% of it because I finally put the checklist together for next year. So you're always finding things like that to, to have to do and try and improve and work upon. That's insane
3: amount of blackboard <laughs> usage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I literally watched his YouTube. I've had him on my show. His name is Drew Lieberman and he's a, he used to be an assistant wide receivers coach for Rutgers university. And he's worked with players like Muhammad Sanu. He's has, he has, regular guests on his shows now like Devontae Adams and Sammy Watkins and Cooper cup. And, you know, they talk shop and he has these great videos up about instructional techniques. And while a lot of those things I've already applied and learned through what I was doing to have a lingo that really quickly encapsulated how you look at those processes. It was nice to be able to, I just took all those videos, listened to them and just started writing everything down and putting it into a, a framework. And then I said, okay, I'm done with that. That was last July. I'm done with that. I know this is going to be up here until probably April, but fine. I'll be ready for it when it comes time. And that's, that's kind of where it goes. And that's kind of been my process for years is, you know, you add things, you test it out a little bit and see if it applies while you're doing your, your current process. And then you uh, try and incorporate it in, you know, in future processes.
3: That's, I need to I need to follow that guy on YouTube and, and watch all the videos. <laughs>
0: <laughs> He's fantastic. His videos are great. I highly recommend him and his his site is called The Sideline Hustle. It's a, it's a great channel. Oh, nice.
3: Noted. That's uh it's going to be some birthday watching for me tomorrow I think. But um We'll move on from my birthday to fantasy football. How did your 2019 season go, Matt? Was it a good one overall?
0: I think it was pretty good. I I had a dynasty team that we do with individual draft, uh, individual defensive players, and I won the championship in 2018 um, because um, I stockpiled quarterbacks from for years. And so eventually it caught up because I only had Russell Wilson for a while and people were hoarding quarterbacks. So I ended up... Um, Getting Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Jared Goff over the years, and 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 just didn't give them up, and and getting good wide receivers. So I, I went to a championship appearance, 2019, in that, and I lost that one. Um, and then I had a championship appearance in two other leagues. I didn't win either of those either. Um, but it's okay. I, I draft with people in dynasty leagues who literally by my guide every year. So Mm -hmm. I'm always having to try inventive ways to um, draft players that I want. And I have to take wild chances to get players that other people wouldn't because I've recommended the sweet spot to get Nick Chubb is here. Um, I would have to draft him number one overall or, you know, some crazy range that everyone else I'd be saying, you can wait till the middle of round two to get him, you know, something like that.
3: It's uh, death by your own sword at that point, isn't it? Unfortunately.
2: Yeah, it <laughs> it's is. always the greatest compliment you can have. <laughs> it's like I lost to myself. It's fine. I can, it. <laughs> I can swallow that one.
0: So I, I just use my fantasy writing to talk about taking risks and how to take risks because I have to do it all the time now because everybody's like, well, I bought your book. We know what you like, you know? So what are you going to do now? You, know? you almost
3: and, need uh, a... Uh, uh, um, a costume outfit to wear on camera or over the phone or so people don't actually think it's you and you're like a shadow <laughs> of yourself
0: And so, or just or just or just join leagues that are not like leagues with people I know but also the other thing too is I do play with a lot of really great fantasy players who are many of them are also um, writers so I, in that realm they may read my book but they also have their own views and they're also quite competent in what they view. So I don't want to put it as like, they don't know what they're doing. I mean, there are a lot of guys who who play the game better than I do. And, and for me, my fantasy stuff now is like, I love fantasy and I'm always going to, you know, be a part of that. But um, my fantasy now is when people write me from the league or players contact me. Um, you know, I've had some fun stories. I've had a, a fun John Elway story. I don't know if you've ever heard the John Elway story that I've told, but um, my dad lived in Denver for years. And so he was a big Broncos fan. So were my brother and sister who were raised there, but I spent my half of my, my half of my childhood in Cleveland, Ohio, and I was a Cleveland Browns fan. And so the the Browns and the Broncos had, um, you know, some great games in the AFC championship when I was growing up and John Elway prevailed in all of those games. And so that was a heartbreak and they were in heartbreaking fashion for Cleveland Browns fans. Most of my family's from Cleveland as my father was as well. So I was a Cleveland Browns fan. And while I admired John Elway as a player, I couldn't stand him as a fan. And so my friend Cecil Lamy, who's on the audible and covers the Denver Broncos for a living. We were at the senior bowl and um, the all-star game college, all-star game in Mobile, Alabama. And we were, de- we go there together every year. And one year, John Elway walks into a coffee shop that we're at and sees Cecil and they say hello. And I get up and always ribbing Cecil about all this. I get up and I say, can you bail me out of jail today? And he said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm going to go try and sack John Elway. And I need to know if someone's going to be able to bail me out after this happens. (laughs) Uh, But I have to do this on Browns fans everywhere because I couldn't sack him for three years um, when it counted the most. And so I got up and I got in line behind him and there were two other gentlemen talking to him who were between me and John Elway. And one of them was a rather large individual who looked like an offensive lineman from back in the day. He was about my age. So I knew he would, you know, but, and then there's another guy who looked fairly athletic next to him looked like he might've played too. And they're, they're talking to John. And John starts talking, saying something to them and they're talking. And the, the bigger guy turns around and looks at me for some reason. And then he does a double take and then he like turns his back on John while John's talking and like grabs the other guy and wheels him around and says and John was still talking like he just cut him off and turned his back on him and said do you do you, you're that guy from the youtube videos you you do the rsp film room right and i was like yeah he's like oh man i've learned more about skill position players than i ever did playing in the nfl i used to play in the nfl my name's lancino so oh, yeah i know who you are you played for the packers and the browns back and he's like yeah i used to be in nfl europe as well and this is you know he introduced the other i don't remember the other guy's name but he played for a little while and he goes do you do you see this guy's videos i've learned so much from him he goes, yeah i subscribe to his site you know um john elway's turned around looking over them looking at me with his head cocked like who is this guy and then they started explaining to me about how they um how they you know they're trying to get a job with John as a scouts. Um, and I'm thinking you just turned your back on the, on your future (laughs) employer while he's talking to you. This may not work out well, but, um, I didn't say that, but it was fun to see them geek out over someone like me. Um, when John Elway hall of fame quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks who's ever played is just looking there like that. And it was fun to come home and say, dad, you know, the Browns may not have won. I said, but, I had two people be extremely rude to John Elway trying to get a job from him. And he was looking at them like it was crazy. And I, and I said, it was even better than trying to sack him. I said, so there you go. (laughs) So those are my, those are my fantasy moments because I get letters. Now I get emails from people. You know, I got an email from somebody who was at LSU and he said, he said, "I, I never played football, but I got a job in the operations department for football operations at LSU and they said they had never really um, hired someone in that capacity who didn't play or understood or really had experience with the game. And they had never interviewed someone who had a, a, that knowledge of the game. And this was last year. And he said he, said he got it because he watched my videos and most of the, a lot of the stuff that he learned was off my videos. And he said he want, thought it was time to thank me because he was at the NFL Combine and he overheard two Chief Scouts talking about me. And he said, one of them said the other, he goes, if I ever meet Matt Waldman, I'm going to give him a big hug. And, uh, and so it made me kind of laugh. I was like, those things kind of, they're my kind of fantasy moments at this point. Um, where as much as I love fantasy football, it's kind of more that, you know, getting to do this type of work and see that people who are in the league or around the league or around major college football appreciate it. And I, I couldn't be happier about that.
2: That's amazing. It, it's, it's nothing better than when you hear people talking about your work in such high esteem, especially people who you're effectively trying to target and, and inform. So um, it, it's quite incredible and it, it segues nicely into uh, what I want to talk about. We've all been talking about the, the, the book itself and you've been doing this for 15 years and, and people are learning from it. I find that there's an ever-growing enthusiasm for the draft here in in the uk um and across europe people are more glued into it than than before we're hosting mock drafts uh, for people um people are are consuming content but for those who perhaps aren't familiar with the rsp itself what exactly i mean we've kind of given a brief overview but just a little bit between what is different about the RSP versus other draft guys you mentioned, Jay Boogler, Dame Boogler, the PFF, for example? Um, what what makes this special, um, and and why people should go out there and, and buy it?
0: Sure, it's it's kind of unique because I only focus on four positions: quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Um, while a big portion of my fa- audience are fantasy players, you notice why it's also um, something that's more than that from the stories I've just told. Um, but it's based on a process where I try to define everything that I do. I want you to under be able to know what my criteria is for grading these players. And, you know, a lot of people show their criteria, even the NFL shows their grading scale. But if you've worked out in the world, you know, that some of their criteria is quite vague, um, or it's not very, it's not complete enough. So if you were to ask them to get 10 people in a room and say, how would you define, um, you know, contact balance for a running back? Well, the way it's, you know, it may not even be defined on some of these um, scoring guides or some of these guides, or if it is the way it's defined, scored and weighted and grade is not shown. And so you're not getting a unified vision on what it is that you're looking for player after player after player. So there's, it creates more variation. So my system is designed to reduce as much variation as possible because just in the, think about it in the terms of asking someone how they should answer the phone at work. You could ask 10 different people how they should answer the phone and you'd probably get 10 different answers. And that's, you know, that may not seem as important for some people and others, but when it comes to football players and you're trying to define whether they make good decisions whether they can use certain types of techniques to be able to get certain results. You want to be as clear as possible. So I do that. Everything's defined. You have a glossary of information with that. I show you how I grade and why I grade so that you understand it's either yes, they did it or no, they didn't. I stack rank the players and I show how they compare on all different types of skill sets. And I take you through my process in kind of a narrative sort of way and with different sections so that you see how all of this kind all of these different skills add up into their scouting report. And then I profile them with, you know, anywhere between a one to four page scouting report sometimes. And I do 151 players. So you can see why it's a fairly in-depth document. And then I also show give you charts so that if you're a fantasy drafter or just a fan and wanting to follow how I rank them, I give you tables so that you can just see it quickly and just get kind of summary information and not just all the in-depth information. And then I show you my supporting work, which is about 600, 700 pages of it that you're probably not going to read, but you'll see that I've done the work the way I claim I do it. And and the, the other 500 pages, which is still a lot on, on those type of players, you can read in depth anywhere from just seeing the the quick bullet point information down to the nitty-gritty of, you know, deep dive into everything they do and why I feel they're scored the way they are. Um, And I give you even chapter overviews of the positions in the NFL draft and how things are trending with how teams are picking positions, why they're picking certain types of players, why they veered away from that, what kind of production you're getting from them. And it's all bookmarked in the PDF so that you can click on these different things that you want to read. So you don't have to just keep clicking from one point to the other and go through all 500 pages to get to what you want to see. If you want to look at a wide receiver from Portland state, um, who's ranked 43rd uh, on my board, you can click on that player's name and it'll take you there. If you want to go and then go back to the tight end chapter and read about you know, who's overrated or underrated. I have sections on that and you can click that, um, you know, and so it it makes it a very readable document and that's kind of what sets it apart. And in addition to the pre-draft, you get also a post-draft RSP for the same it's included in the price. So the original price, you get the pre-draft book that we're talking about. Then within a week after the NFL draft, I do a post-draft analysis where you get to see how I think these players fit with the teams that they actually got drafted by, um, who I think was good or bad fits. Um, I do a cheat sheet for fantasy drafters where I compare where I have them ranked now that they're with a team compared to how fantasy drafters have been drafting these players once the draft was over. So I give you as early of a look as possible. So I give you the average draft position versus my my rankings and then I give you I I calculate a formula to calculate like a sweet spot to where you can pick them if I have Patrick Mahomes rated as my top quarterback but he was ranked third or fifth on most boards for people and they were drafting him in the second round I wasn't telling you to take him number one overall even if he was my number one overall player so I would tell you this is where you can get him within reason and this is the range plus or minus seven picks so that you had kind of a uh, an indicator. I also do a newsletter. Um, and from June through December, this monthly newsletter comes out and I rank three years of um, draft classes um, and update them and give you a chance to see my rankings change over three, to- three times during that year. And I talk about t- the next year's prospects, as well as how are some of these Um, rookie prospects from this year's class, how they're doing in training camp in the preseason and during the season. And all that's for one price. And then a percentage of that also goes to a um, a charitable cause um, that's called darkness to light. It's a charity in in the United States that's designed to um, help prevent sexual abuse of children and also to help people or help children out when that unfortunately happens so that, adults and people in the community around know how to address that in a way that doesn't do more damage to the victim
2: it's just it's incredible and for all of that by the way i think for me and i'm not just saying this because you're on genuinely one of the bargains that you can get because you, i've seen draft guides go for you know 30 pounds 40 pounds whatever it might be you can buy magazines so they're a little bit cheaper and they give you basically three or four paragraphs on each player you go into so much detail add all your checklists absolutely everything plus what you talked about all the posts that analysis and everything It's 21.95 dollars which is 18 just over 18 pounds 50 and you're getting constant revisions and updated information like for me it's an absolute like no brainer to buy because it's just i thought when when I first heard about it and you talk about it and listen to you and, and saw it, I thought, okay, it's quite in depth. I'll, I'll definitely give it a go, but never realized the level of detail it goes to plus all the extra support you get afterwards, which is phenomenal. And, and you know, you could even go back and if you're not sure and you think, well, I still want to maybe hedge my bet, you can buy one of the older guys, can't you for that? Was it like 10 bucks or something like that?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So it's, yeah, it, it's, it's an unbelievable value for money. Um, for me anyway, I think and for anybody reading it there's not many I think, times you'll get that much information for, <laughs> for 18 pound 50. Uh,
0: and, and I think a lot of people feel that way. I mean, I know they do because I get people constantly telling me they, they pay two to three times as much for that. And there's a reason why I sell it for the way I do. I mean, I certainly, well, I occasionally raise the price. Um, and I've raised it, I mean, just two years ago, I raised it. So it was actually, you know, a few dollars cheaper. Um, or a few pounds cheaper, probably too, um, you know, or close to that. So, um, and part of the reason for that is that, um, you know, I do want to make it affordable. Um, and I love to see people just shocked when they get it. And I get people who are like, I've been thinking about it for two, three years. And uh, the emails I get are usually, I've been thinking about this for two to three years. And I, and I'm kicking myself that I didn't do it earlier or I'm, and, and usually, I talk about it, like one of my taglines and when I sell it on Twitter or just market it is that I'm pleasantly shocking readers since 2006 because I get letters where people are like I can't believe how much is in here I heard about it but I didn't really you know it's a sales pitch you you never really believe the sales pitch and so I'm a, you know I'm a I'm a customer service person by trade so I'd much rather have people who are just thrilled by what they get because that's a lot more equity than it is if they go, yeah, it's worth it, or I paid a lot. But when you pay a ton, you expect a lot in return. And when you see the document, it's very plain. There's no, there's no graphics, there's no pictures of any sort. The graphic design is, is nothing. You know, it's just formatted in a way where it's for reading. It's for deep reading. And and I wanted to keep it that way because if I tried to dress it up, it would probably be I'd do it poorly because I'm not a graphic designer, and I don't do all of that work. So someday I'll eventually pretty it up a little bit more. But when I when I do, then I'll probably raise the price a little bit more. But it won't be anything out of out of the range of crazy. It'll still probably be I'll still have my friends and business colleagues yelling at me and going, "You didn't raise it enough." And I'll still probably still do it that way because. You know, I have, to, I have to handle the feedback from people too. And I don't want people who say, well, I can afford, you know, three times, I can afford to pay three times as much. And then they think that they, they own me because they pay that much and expect a lot more for things that are just little things that aren't as important. You know, if you're a diehard draft fan or a diehard football fan, you just want to learn about the game. So I, surpass, I hopefully surpass expectations there and you know and try and get out of the way of myself for the other things and so I'm hoping that that just continues to be a model that I that I work with
2: No, and it absolutely rings true um I guess before we move on to the 2020 edition we're not going to go too far because you should definitely go and, and buy a copy but just in terms of the 15 years you've been doing this I'm keen to understand because you mentioned you sort of for you it's been learning it's been learning the game so what has changed from if we were looking at rs rsp 2006 or say those early editions to now what what is different in terms of um three different areas one content two the way that you analyze uh, tape now versus back then and then your overall process and how you've evolved that over the years
0: Yeah, I mean, the simplest answer that really won't give you anything worthwhile to cling to, but I can, the only thing I can think of is go find the baby picture in your, in your album, photo album, or your first grade picture, and then go take a look at your, you know, your sophomore year in high school. Um, And that would probably be a good way to compare the two. But when we really break it down to, um, when we really break it down to what, what matters, I mean, I would say the the publication is much larger. I cover a lot more players. Um, in addition to that, um, I'm noticing a lot more things, of course, because when I started out, it was my grading system was basically a, a checklist system. And then I realized that what I was analyzing was what I call breadth of talent. So if you're interviewing someone for a job, say it was for, uh, you know, a telephone operator, you know, just something, you know, fairly straightforward. Um, you would have a range of things that you would expect from a, a telephone operator to do. Maybe not all of them do those things, but you could come up with a list of maybe 50 tasks or skills that they need to have in order to be successful, depending on the business that they're going to be an op phone operator in if they're a phone operator for, uh, you know, a small business that might be different than if they're operating a huge switchboard. So there's a range of those skills. So if, what I've learned is that depth, that breadth of talent is more about how much you can do, not how well you do it. Um, so then I started to develop a checklist um, or a system that graded depth of talent. Because what we've realized in the NFL or what you realize when you watch football players is that, say, some wide receivers can run every route really well but they're not highly productive players because they don't break tackles. They don't win catches over the top of another defender. They don't take contact well and hang on to the football. They can't make people miss in the open field. Well, you may have another receiver who's an absolute star, but he can only run maybe a fraction of the routes that the other one can run, but he runs them so well and he's so athletic um, that he can win with a limited amount of skill sets. Um, so I wanted to be able to show people the breadth of a player's talent and then the depth of his talent, because the, usually it's not that wide of an extreme that I just explained, but it's enough of a difference that sometimes the player with less breadth, but more depth isn't going to be a more valuable player than someone with a lot of breadth, but not as much depth. So I, I, that started to evolve five or six years into the process. Um, I would say, you know, continuing to add different techniques and and concepts to the checklist and and determining the values of what those players offer was important. Um, learning to understand, I would say, the combine, looking at the 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 combine, the workouts, the pro days, all the metrics that about their speed and change of direction, and l- coming to learn that. Those are important to help you determine certain athletic traits, but sometimes the exercises that they're graded on to, to to workouts that they have don't match the style of movement that they exhibit as a player. So for instance, there's a, there's a drill at the NFL combine called the three cone drill, and it's to determine the player's stop, start agility um, and short area change of direction. And the exercise requires the, the player to drop his weight. It looks like he's sitting in a chair. That's not there. You know, their knees are fully bent. They're kind of upright. Their butts kind of drop down to the ground. So it's parallel to the ground. Um, And that promotes a quick stop movement so that you can then reaccelerate out of it. But there are a lot of players who don't do that well, but they can, they can change direction well by using what's called curvy linear movement which is the movement to bend around a corner, kind of like watching those street cycles and races, you know, where they, they bend corners at a high speed there, you know, there are athletes who can do that where they can bend around rather than making the hard cuts. And that compensates for their, um, their inability to maybe drop their weight. And, and you don't want to mark somebody down on say their, their quickness or agility, if their tape shows that they do it a different way than what the exercise asked for. So again, you have to learn how to interpret those things, whether a player doesn't start well in his workout, but you watch his tape and he's beating, you know, there's a player in this draft by the name of Quint, um, uh, name of Quintez Cephas, who Cephas. I've talked about yeah. a lot, who, who didn't have a good workout in the 40 um, yard dash. But if you looked at his vertical jump and how explosive he was, and you looked at his start, like the phys- physically looked at how he started in that 40 yard dash time, he didn't really start. Well, he didn't understand how to run that. And, and all that, a lot of these players have to go to some sort of like take some private lessons or a, go to a camp and take, get instruction on how to start like a track athlete because they don't, you don't start like a track athlete in the NFL to, to run, you know, when you're starting to sprint and there are are different forms. So it's kind of like if I'm sure you have exams to get into schools and there's probably prep courses for you to take those exams that are available if you have the money to afford that to give you an advantage of how to game the test a little bit and understand it. And that's what NFL players do for the combine. So it's somewhat artificial. So learning those types of things and getting the nuance of that, understanding that draft where they're drafted does not dictate how talented they are that um, the, the dra- this, I call it draft capital. A lot of people call it draft capital. Draft capital is a predictor really of a, it's a risk management exercise. It's, it's really about the, the owner saying, which guy is the safest of the top talents or guys we deem top talent to be able to invest that kind of money in because they're guys who went to a big school. We can explain that they, they performed at a high, at a, at a big stage, that they had production. We show that they've proven that they've been productive. They had good production in the combine. So we've shown that they're good athletes. Um, They haven't had any trouble out off the field. So, you know, the more bullet points like that, that are positive, the more they feel like they've covered their, their, their backsides with the pick in terms of saying that if they fail, well, you know, you can't question us on the legitimacy of whether this guy was good or not, because if you fail and everyone thought he was good based on those types of factors, you get a, you know, you get a, less, you don't get punished as much as if you took a chance on someone that came from a small school or had a bad background or didn't perform as well in the athletic testing. Um, and if there's more of those that they don't hit those bullet points, the more risk you're taking. And, and you know, when it comes to investing money, they're more risk averse. And as a result of that, when they invest that kind of money on a player, they give them more practice reps. They give them more, they give them more opportunities to fail. Whereas the players who are drafted lower or not drafted at all, they get a lot fewer opportunities. So it looks like it's a reinforcement of talent, but it's really reinforcement of a bias based on who's the safest. And so that's why what I do a lot is based on, you know, looking at just the film talent and not trying to do mock drafts or try to say it's based on what round their talent is. Because as a result... You oftentimes get a truer measure of what the player's talent is, talent is because you can see, oh, the RSP has him ranked fourth overall, but Matt's saying he's probably not going to get drafted, and it's going to be harder for him to get an opportunity. And while that may sound like I'm hedging, um, what often happens is two, three years later, the guy ends up getting a chance to start somewhere and people are like well where did he come from he's so talented how did he not get drafted this way and it's not because i'm some genius who like you know sees the future it's because i stay true to my process of studying the talent of the player and and studying the techniques and all the things that he could do and projecting it based on that and then telling you you know you you can be patient with him and see what happens the odds are he may not do anything but the talent is there, and it's important to look at the talent, not where he's going to get drafted. And so these are the types of things that I've learned and added over the years. In addition to the, you know, the the post draft, in addition to the newsletter.
2: That makes complete sense, and I guess to clarify a couple of those things for people listening, um, when you mentioned the three cone and people not testing well, but clearly have that ability, DK Metcalf from last year's draft would fall into that example. Um, we almost mocked him for his three-cone time because it was so considerably bad. And yet, actually, when you start to explain the process of the drill itself, you now start to understand how he's got such a bad three-cone, but actually has the ability to play the position and make those moves. It's just not what the the combine is highlighting. It's just that's not in his skill set. He does it another way, but he's still successful. And we saw that towards the tail end of the season. And, and Quintus Cephas is... I sent this picture to, to stocks is his mock draftable chart makes absolutely no sense. A mock draftable takes all the um, things that they did in the combine, all their measurements, all their tests and everything. And it gives you a comparison to who they kind of test like, um, but his tests make absolutely no sense because he was in the second percentile for the 40 yard dash and the, um, the 11th percentile for the three cone but he was 84th in the vertical jump and 96th in the bench press which tells you that this guy's incredibly strong with a um you know he's got a good broad ramp 74th percentile even though he's not particularly tall he's kind of average height um weight and arm length so the you're trying to like understand what the testing is telling you, and, and his chart is so ludicrous. I'm going to hold it up to the camera. You can't really, <laughs> yeah. you can't really make any sense of that. So you come away with a prospect out of the combine thinking, I don't know what to do with him. So then you have to go back to the tape because that's what you see. And I see a player who is far more talented than what that particular chart comes out with because that makes absolutely no sense. Because you either have people that are bad in a lot of categories or good in a lot of categories or average in a lot of categories. And you might have some spikes and some troughs, but you don't have people perform really bad. So bottom at the end of the barrel of, of some, and then right at the top of the others. It, it doesn't make any sense. So that resonated um, yeah, and, a lot with me.
0: And and that's a great point. And it's also lends to the other point of this is that certain, um, certain drills don't really, they're designed to try and approximate um, things that may happen on the field. And it is an approximation. So, you know, certain things that may not, you know, DK Metcalf, if if defenders are going to play off of him and not play him tight, it doesn't matter if he doesn't bend extremely well, if they're scared that he's going to run past them, he's still going to be quick enough based on the time that you see to be able to stop and still get separation when he cuts the route short. Um, and yeah, he may not be able to run certain types of routes ex- with an expert level of, of skill, but he runs enough of them that he's effective. And it's the same kind of thing. You have, to, you have to kind of try and figure out how you interpret what they can do on the field because no player can do everything. And so, and so we fall into this trap sometimes where we're not thinking about it this way, but we're, what we're actually doing is they have to do everything. They have to be perfect we're judging them against perfection when really what we're doing is the, the, the probably the better way to do it when we're evaluating is to go, what is it they do well? And do those things, um, are those things good enough for him to have a role on the field? Because, you know, if you say everyone is judged on a 100% rule, then everyone's a failure um, in terms of they have to do a hundred percent of everything, hundred percent well. And when really we, what we have to determine is what percentage that really is. Is it, is it, can they do 40 percent of the things well um, and and do them at a at a 75 percent capacity? And if that's the case, that might be a a, a productive NFL starter who fantasy players really like um, you know and get second contracts by their NFL teams. Um, you know but we're but we're looking at that 100-100 rule when it may really be you know 40 75 or or 25. 60 or whatever it may be, but it's like it's far different than what we envisioned in our heads if we really thought about it.
3: Yeah, 100%. So let's move on to 2020, then, Matt, and the RSP. Sure, this year, starting with quarterbacks, who do you have as your number one quarterback? Obviously, we don't want to give too much away, the people don't go and buy it, but <laughs> who's your number one quarterback, and then who's sort of underrated by the draft community, and then flip that who's overrated as well?
0: Sure. Um, Tua Tagovailoa is my number one rated quarterback. And that's a little bit different than most people who have Joe Burrow and they're, they're neck and neck on my board. I don't like binary rankings necessarily that go one, two, three, four, five. So I do tiers. but Burrow, um, Burrow just his arm strength is a little weak and in, in areas where it may need a little bit more work or may need a team to kind of work around it in the way that they work around Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson and Drew Brees to an extent and you can see how productive those guys are. So it's really not that big of a deal. They both graded very high, um, but I like Tagovailoa because he's he when I since I'm not grading for a specific teams needs, I have to be a little broader in my look. And he has a stronger arm. I like his pocket mobility. I don't. I'm not worried about the hip injury. I think from the people I've talked to. It may impact him if he takes a lot of punishment early in his career and maybe by the time he's 30 or 32 that he can't move around as well as he once did and his career ends a little bit earlier um, you know that could happen but if we're talking about him in his 30s still being a viable player he's been successful in the league most likely um, so I like how he reads the field I think that he's you know he has a little bit to work on when he gets moved away from the, um, the pocket and he's forced to Reset his feet to fire the ball. He has times where he can throw the ball a little too high on a consistent basis because of the fact that when he's moved off of his spot, off of his drop, um, that extra movement he doesn't get his feet set as well as as cleanly as he should. And a lot of top quarterbacks can, so hopefully he can work on that. Um, the guy that I think is underrated is Drake, Jake Fromm out of the University of Georgia. Um, a lot of people don't like him because he didn't have extremely strong production after a really great start to his career, um, and he didn't have great production as a, as a, as a um, junior. And in addition to that, he faced LSU in the SEC championship game and had a, had a, a poor game. And on top of that, the, the people who study film oftentimes said that he looked bad and didn't look like he had an NFL caliber arm. And arm strength is really measured in two ways, distance throwing and velocity of those throws. And they're talking more about the velocity because he can throw for distance and put a nice amount of arc under the ball to let a receiver run under it and throw it 45 to 50 yards down the field. Um, But he's, you know, in addition to that, um, I think he has a stronger arm than people realize because the offensive coordinator used a scheme that didn't match his drop back lengths to, um, the actual throws that he was, the routes he was throwing to, he had to drop further back to throw the ball, which meant that he was going to be late in by the NFL standard. And it made it when you're late on a throw, it looks like you have a weaker arm. He's got to develop his arm, but I don't think it's as bad as people think. Justin, Jordan love is my overrated player. Um, I think a lot of the teams think that he's going to be, um, Patrick Mahomes and, Lamar Jackson, Deshaun Watson type of player with a big arm and mobility and can make all these really wild type of throws. And he, he can do a lot of that, but his decision-making it really needs a lot of work. He has chronic issues with plays that pro-caliber prospects tend to be able to um, fix those issues. And so you have that, and I think that he's a player that teams think they can plug him in and that somehow he's going to learn and develop just like those other guys as if the teams made them great Whereas really in the reality in the NFL is that most players get coached up um, and, you know, they get coached up in a way, they don't get coached up in that way. They get coached to the game plan into the scheme, not to develop their skills. And since he has so much to develop, I think him getting picked in the first round, which is likely to happen, is a big stretch.
2: Mm, It's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely different. And that's, that's what you're getting with this is, is proper insights into the film, not just what. Uh, draft boards and mock drafts are saying during during lying season so again another reason to to purchase and, and and get the insights we've got about eight minutes left so keen to get your take on um a few running backs and wide receivers either your your top three or some guys in this who are interesting who people should keep an eye out for for running backs and wide receivers
0: I can run through this fairly quickly with both those in a row and, and we'll get through them because I know we have a limited amount of time and I know people are looking for this, but you know, I'll say that the the top three running backs on my board are JK Dobbins out of Ohio state, Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin and Deandre Swift out of Georgia. Um, and there's a pretty good um, gap between JK Dobbins and the other two backs. And the reason that is, is that JK Dobbins is a um, skilled receiver Um protects the ball well and it's a very important part ball security and he's someone that um, also runs both gap schemes and zone schemes and these are running schemes that are used in the nfl they're two generalized way of looking at it gap schemes are when they take alignment and he runs from his stationary spot and pulls around the line to a designated area and it's all about trying to marshal your forces to one lane to run through um, and that requires a different mindset and skill set for a runner than a zone scheme where they run close to the line and try and wait for defenders to engage in a certain area or run to a certain spot so that they can find one of three lanes. To me, it's like fill in the blank versus multiple choice and the, the way you approach it is different. Most NFL teams run zone as opposed to gap. So Taylor's a very good gap runner, but he's he still has a little bit of work to do as a zone runner and Dobbins is good at both. So, and Taylor puts the ball on the ground too often. He fumbles the ball, has a very bad rate of um, fumbling, and he's going to have to work on that. And his pass protection needs a lot of work as well. He and I think they're correctable, but you don't, you know, you have to project that he's going to correct that, not project that he already does it. And that's the difference between those two. And Swift, to me, I think he can be a good back, but he has some work to do to become a good route runner. He's a good pass catcher, but not a good route runner. He's better at when the route doesn't break open because he doesn't run the good route and then finds an open space. And the quarterback has confidence to hit him. Um, so those are my top three guys. And I really like, you know, some guys I really like, I like a guy by the name of Joshua Kelly, who is part of um One's a running back for ucla i think he's an underrated player um who will be he's sophisticated in how he reads the field and he has good speed good quickness catches the ball well i think he's going to surprise a player to watch maybe two to three years from now who might come out of nowhere is a guy by the name of tyson williams who was a 220 pound running back who played at three different colleges but finished at byu um and he got hurt he tore his um anterior cruciate ligament um in in september and should probably heal up by now um and and at least have a shot to compete wide receivers sorry um uh, matt can i jump in quickly and talk about running backs Sure. In comparison to
3: backs we've seen come out in recent years, because for me, who's only just started looking at the college player and stuff, you're saying JK Dobbins is your number one, but comparable to say Saquon or CMC or Zeke from a few years ago that we still play with regularity as our fantasy backs. How good is Dobbins compared to some of the backs who've
0: come out recently? That's a great question. Um, I think he's, he's in the, in the category that he has the potential to produce on par with guys um, probably like Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley, maybe not to their upside, but to the way that they've played thus far. I think his upside is close to them. He's a little bit below them, but he's in that, he's in that neighborhood. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Cause
3: when you see names come out every year, you people have them as their number one. And, but then where does that number one stack against all the other running backs that are currently out? And if you haven't read the RSP for years to, gone or if you've just got into college players it can be quite confusing to to put them into a into their sort of separate tiers as it were if you're drafting them all at the same time so that's and,
0: and good that's a great question that's a great question and what's nice about that is that when you get the rsp post draft you'll actually see um and even this one you see three years worth of rankings so you'll see where i ranked them ranked the rookies um from two to three seasons ago um compared to who I'm ranking now. So you get uh, at least some level frame of reference for that. Excellent. Well, I'm pleased to know
3: that my love for Dobbins isn't completely wasted. And hopefully according to the RSP is going to be fairly good in future years. So let's move on to my sort of secret love of the wide receiver position. Again, Matt, who's your, your top three wide receivers. Why? And then who have you got as underrated and overrated?
0: Sure. Um, I'm a big, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of CD lamb, the Oklahoma wide receiver. Um, and I think that you, you know, wide receiver in the NFL, when people grade them in the NFL, there's no position with greater variation of grades than this position, because you're looking at three different positions in one. They, their roles as whether they're a slot player, a flanker, or, or, in, uh you know, or a split end is kind of like talking about the different roles of a, a center forward, uh, you know, a left wing or a right wing in, you know, in football, you know, and, and in European, and what the rest of the world knows is football. So, um, you know, the, you know, when you look at lamb, he's a type of player that can play all three different positions. Um, He's someone that's tough over the middle in terms of being able to make tough catches um, and take contact and come down with the ball. He's skilled at being able to make the first, second, or third man miss. And it's unusual to make more than the first man miss. And he does that routinely. Um, he wins the ball in the air with great acrobatic skill um, near the near the boundary, um, and and he's someone that is an excellent route runner. He's an underrated route runner, maybe one of the best one of the best two to three route runners in the class. And and everyone's talking about Jerry Judy as the best route runner in this class. When there's certain things that C D Lamb does better, um, you know he's a little more patient. He's a little more efficient with some of the moves that he uses because people fall for the fancy moves where you're stacking one move upon another and, and it makes the defender get turned around. But in the NFL, players are a lot more patient. Defenders are a lot more patient and they don't fall for that as much. And timing is so much more important so that if you're dancing around a little bit too much trying to get that second or third move, you're wasting time and space. And those defenders, if they're patient, they can shut you down with that. Um, which is the reason why a guy like Andy Isabella didn't really play much last year because everyone was wild by his dancing. Um, but you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that those routes work well in practice. They don't work as well in games. Um, so I have lamb first. I have Denzel Mims second. I've liked him all year. Um, he's a, He's really evolved as a player over the past three years. He's a very skilled route runner himself, especially at the line of scrimmage where defenders play tight coverage. That's called press man coverage. And and they can use their hands and try and, you know, slow down your release from the line to get into your route. And this requires a number of skills in terms of using your hands and your feet, either separately or in conjunction. You have to kind of learn how to gauge what the defender is going to react to. So you have to play a game within the game and, and, and kind of gauge do certain things on some plays to see how the defender's going to react and then switch it up as the game progresses and unfolds. So you're playing that game within a game. He does that very well. He's become very strong in that area. He's equally as acrobatic as CD lamb as a receiver um, and makes some incredible catches can work over the middle of the field. And he's someone that has some pretty good skill um, after the catch. He's not as, as um, dynamic of a runner, but as CD lamb, but he's, he's pretty skilled in terms of being able to make the first man miss and break tackles, um, and I think that he's st- still growing as a player on a, at a level that I think that um, you know, you look at his speed and you look at his quickness, and and you look at how he's developed so far, and and I think that he has a bright future. Jerry Judy's my third ranked player, um, and he's someone that certainly isn't far away from Denzel Mims. I mean, really, the grades are so close together that it really depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for a wide receiver who's going to play along the boundary and play outside more often than inside, Denzel Mims is probably going to be the player you're going to want. Um, If you're looking for a player who's going to play inside as the slot receiver and be a high catch target in the middle of the field, and then sometimes play on the outside where he's going to run routes, where if he goes, tries to run more vertical or deeper routes, he's, he's going to be used in a fashion where, um, you know, he's going to be, it's going to be specific types of plays. Um, and so Judy to me, isn't quite as, um, he doesn't have quite the acceleration that a lot of starting receivers have. Um, and it's, but he's very, you know, he has great quickness and change of direction, um, with short area movements and he can make that first man miss. He, he, again, he's more of a, let's stack a number of moves on top of a player and turn them around. Mm -hmm. And I think he does it efficiently enough that it's not going to be a problem for him. Um, but there will be more patient corners who, who may be able to foil him in ways that um, he wasn't foiled in college. Um, And he's good after the catch, but again, he needs a little bit of a runway to accelerate up to full speed. So he, I think he's going to be a nice starter um, in the league, especially in three receiver offenses where he plays in the inside. Um, But he may have slightly more limitations than the other two in terms of the versatility that he offers and the skill set that he might have to the, you know, playing on the outside, but they're all very strong, um, prospects.
3: I and mean, then I guess the same question as I asked for the running backs, where do you have them stack prospect wise against people who have been out in the past?
0: Um, CD lamb, I have very high. He might be the top guy that I've looked at in, in a few years. He's pretty, he's pretty high up there. Um, I would say that, um, Mims and Judy are up there with top end, um, receiving talent in terms of you know i would say the way that my grades are done i have a scale so if you know they they fall into the scale of players who are me who could be immediate nfl starters and be productive right away so for a, a rookie you know 700 to 900 yards as a starter immediately that may not be great for fantasy but it's good enough that you know their are promises there for future and they've been um capable enough to help you out um in your fantasy lineups in terms of at least you know um, week to week decisions where you can stream them or or where you can um use them in you know multiple receiver sets in your lineup
3: perfect and then three names i want to run by you quickly the first one is my absolute for some reason college crush on lavisca Chanel. i don't know how you view him uh second name on the list is donovan people's jones my research into him has led me to believe what went on at Michigan? Um, you know, number one rated uh, wide receiver coming out of high school and then just disappeared as in in Ann Arbor. And then third guy is Antonio Gandy Golden. Everything I've seen on him, he looks unbelievable. Just played at Liberty, which is a small school, and possibly lacks a little bit of speed, but otherwise he could be really good as well, right?
0: I'm a fan of all three of those players to varying degrees, and and certainly I'm a big fan of LaVisca Chanel. I think that he, you know people are worried about the injuries because he had a turf toe injury that had required surgery. He had a shoulder injury, I believe that also required injury uh, surgery. And then he, he ran, he played, he uh, performed at the combine with a uh, basically a sports hernia. And so when you look at his combine performance, I think people are a little down on that who may not think about the fact that he ran a, a very impressive 40 time with a sports hernia. <laughs> I would be willing to, I go on the air a lot and say, I'd be willing to bet that some of these players that we see who play out the year with a sports hernia, I would be willing to bet that they didn't run as fast as LaVisca should did with his, um, you know, if they were to time them. So I think he's a very impressive athlete who is a a better route runner. He runs good routes for the routes that they asked him to run at Colorado. And the the mechanics of how to run those routes translate well to other routes that he will have to learn or demonstrate that he can already run them. So I think that he's not a guy that has to learn a lot from a physical, technical standpoint to become a good player. He just may have to learn from a conceptual standpoint, like everybody else, the offensive scheme, reading certain types of defenses he's not used to seeing, um, learning the playbook um, and doing that type of work. I think he can be an excellent player. And he has high upside to me as someone who could be, a good NFL starter, maybe a Pro Bowl player, if he can stay healthy and it's, and if the health isn't an issue. And I I don't think that a team's going to say, even though he's built a lot like a running back, I don't think they're going to play him at running back. And I hope they don't because I think he can be a, a dynamic receiver. Um, the other guy you mentioned was Donovan Peoples Jones mm-hmm. um, at Michigan, and I love his return ability. He's an absolutely terrific kick returner. His his ability to process information and, and make defenders miss in the open field and find open lanes and tight areas is, is absolutely one of the best in this class. Um, he is very skilled at winning the ball in the air. So you can throw fade routes to him where he jumps up and wins the ball like he's rebounding it. And he's excellent at that. His route running needs some work. Um, he's someone that his um, ability to bend and some of the me- physical mechanics of route running that he would be counting on to do isn't quite there yet in his game and I'm not sure if he has the physical skills to actually perform some of these routes but it doesn't mean that he can't be productive in the league with the skills that he does have and that is it's the big question is is it the scheme in Michigan or was it Donovan Peoples-Jones and I'm more inclined to say the scheme at Michigan, they, they tend to like to run the ball a lot and they haven't had a successful receiver since um, Jim Harbaugh, the coach, arrived there and installed his offense. Um, so they haven't really had a successful passing game, um, you know, at least statistically even. And so I think Peoples-Jones has a chance, but there's a lot of things that he has to prove where I have him ranked lower than maybe a lot of people might but it's not because I don't think that he's capable, but I have him rated more on my board as someone who can be a contributor, but he's not necessarily a player who, um, who is going to start right away. Um, and, or if he does, he's going to be surrounded by a lot of talent, especially at the other receiver positions. And he's going to get some schemed packaged plays that will work for him best. Um, and then when it comes to Antonio Ganygol and I've talked about him pretty much all year at a variety of outlets. Cause I like him too. Um, and the speed, you know, people worry about him being slow and being a little bit less refined and only knowing a certain number of um, skill sets because he played at Liberty and that's possibly true. I did see him up close um, at the senior bowl and watched his game after studying a lot of his tape and, he seemed very comfortable with physical play. It was very difficult for defensive backs to knock him off of his line to as a route runner, even though he didn't use a lot of techniques to win against tight man coverage. The techniques that he used it worked every time. <laughs> so when you if if they can't stop you doing the thing you do well, that's a pretty good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, he in the NFL it's gonna be a big jump from the star cornerbacks in the college game to, you know, a good Player in the NFL. Um, So he's going to have to develop more. And the speed thing, again, smaller school players, oftentimes that I've talked about on my podcast with some NFL, former NFL scouts and current CFL scout, um, Russ Landy. You know, we've talked about, and he said, listen, you know, um, there's a lot of players who have the athletic talent that if they went to the big schools and had the weight rooms and the training facilities and the expert training um, and nutrition that they get. In you know, at these big schools, if they had all of that, they'd probably be running faster and jumping longer or jumping higher as well. So when they get into an NFL facility, they can improve in that regard. I have a colleague and friend who I, I met because I evaluated him um, in, in the game. His name is Chad Spann, and he's a former running back who played with the Texans, the Jets, the Colts, and the um, Steelers for a little while. Um, he never really was on the field a lot because he was a reserve. Um, but he, he led the NCAA in touchdowns the year that Cam Newton won the Heisman. And he ended up in the CFL and looked like he was about to become a star there. And then he tore his Achilles tendon and it ended his career. Um, but Chad is, um, you know, Chad is an interesting story because he talked to me about, you know, he tested pretty well at his, his pro day, but it wasn't star level speed but he came from a small school by um, Northern Illinois University and uh, he was a walk-on. So he wasn't someone that got all that kind of training. And when he went to the Steelers, he told me that he actually, you know, gained a 10th of a second on his 40 time just from, you know, the training and all the things that he was doing after a couple years and that he was running in the four, four range as a running back in the, in the, in the uh, 40 yard dash. And he was beating, guys in practice who are starting NFL were starting NFL cornerbacks for the Steelers. Um, and he was beating them down the field and they were, you know, he was telling me about what was going on. So those types of things can happen and maybe Antonio Gandy golden will gain some of that athletic skill that he didn't show early on in his career, but he's terrific at the catch point. So I agree with you. He, He, he looks like he could be a much better player two to three years from now. Um, and, and fit have a fit in the NFL.
2: I've got one more player to drop into this, and that's um, Van Jefferson out of Florida, obviously suffered an injury, which is going to move his quote-unquote draft stock down a little bit. Um, however, he's definitely one of the best sort of route runners I've seen this year. And you can tell that he's the son of a former player just by the way that he applies himself and the way he plays. And he's very unfortunate in his career to have been on a pretty bad old Miss team and then transferring to Florida and having two quarterbacks that aren't great at throwing the deep ball, especially having a, a backup in Kyle Trask last year. So do you think that Van Jefferson has won shown enough despite the limitations that he's potentially had due to not necessarily good quarterback play to be recognised as, as a good route runner and second of all, should people be wary on his, on his injury or should they really take a chance on him?
0: Um, I think he's worth taking a chance on, but obviously you just have to look at that relative to how long it's going to take him to recover. But I think he should be healthy enough, you know, eventually to, to be able to contribute at the high level that he's capable of. And that high level is about his route running. He's um he's very skilled in that regard. And like you said, I mean, he's someone that really understands all the techniques And the concepts involved to to get open, and so he doesn't have top notch speed and and I think that you know your point about the quarterbacks is true to an extent. There was a a quarterback he worked with very early on at Ole Miss by the name of Chad Kelly, who's a reserve with the um, Indianapolis Colts, who is actually an excellent deep ball thrower. Um, and they and they were able to connect a little bit, but he was also working with, you know, he was also was barely you know he was kind of a standout young player who didn't have a full-time starting job at that point when they were working together. So it's not, it it didn't give you, you know, when he finally did start to work a little bit more into the offense, he was playing with um, lesser talents. Um, But with that in mind, you know, the thing that Van Jefferson probably needs to work on more than his route running, because he runs routes as well or better than many NFL um, receivers right now is his, as actually catching the football. He's a good pass catcher but he has some inconsistencies with how he frames his hands. Um, Receivers who, you know, when the ball arrives at the numbers or higher, ideally you want the hands to be, imagine if I have my hand mirrored to the other side because I'm holding my mic right now. But it's like, yeah, exactly that diamond, exactly what Chris is showing there. That's the high hands technique. The low hands technique is where it's low with the pinkies together. Um, And so he oftentimes, like many receivers, when the ball arrives at the numbers, he doesn't know which way to use his hands sometimes. And he'll flip them in the wrong direction last second and ends up fighting the ball because the defender is tight to him and jostles him and he didn't use the ideal technique there. Um, And as a guy who's going to be a possession receiver in the NFL, maybe a slot receiver, working inside against tight coverage with hits coming, you want to make sure that his hand position, that the way he frames them is as accurate as possible to the trajectory of the route whenever it happens because he's going to be counted on for those high percentage plays. Um, So that's an area where he can get better and as good of a a route runner as he is. The thing that we don't know yet is when he's tested by patient cornerbacks who don't get fooled by certain types of initial moves to bait them at the line of scrimmage. And I found that watching him against certain teams like the university of Tennessee, which isn't a terrific program right now, but they still have high end athletes And they have, you know, they had some cornerbacks who played him patiently and were not fooled by the first move or the second move. And they were able to shut him down on individual plays on a a much of a basis, on a notable basis that it it leads me to believe that more patient NFL corners will um, have an easier time against him early on in his career. And it'll be up to him to develop through film study and through different type of work game plans that will help him adjust. And I'm confident he will, but he's going to have to prove that.
3: Excellent. Yeah. And then guess we might as well finish off with some tight ends because they're the end of the fantasy line, shall we say? So who's your top three tight ends and why?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, You know, and it's not, it's not a particularly um, glamorous tight end class in terms of um, the, the caliber of talent that many people see them as, but I think this is still one that there are a number of players who can contribute well. My top player is Harrison Bryant out of um, Florida Atlantic University. He's a 6'5", 240-pound guy, so he's a little bit um, undersized in terms of his weight right now, but not so much so that he can't play what you say is H-back or on the wing where they're the tight end who's kind of offset the offensive line and used a little bit as a lead blocker, used as a player in, into the flats or into the, into the open areas of the field. He's, a, he's very skilled at being able to adjust with his quarterback when his first route doesn't break open and he has to improvise. He's very skilled at being able to find that open space quickly and, and make the catch. He's skilled after the catch. Um, very talented with, you know, just being able to um, catch the football from a lot of different angles. Chase Claypool is often seen as a wide receiver, um, but he's at the, the weight of maybe an H back. And he's a guy that many teams are split down the middle of whether he's going to be used as a wide receiver or a tight end. And I've graded him higher as a tight end than as a wide receiver, because he's better in the middle of the field in the slot or playing in that area where it's more of a tight end or slot receiver. Look, when he plays outside. He's a little bit slower. Um, has a little bit more trouble against contested catches on that area of the field, but inside, I think he plays rather well and he has some potential, you know, in terms of, um, with his route running to develop more skills um, to make the first man miss or to turn around the defender. Um, And, you know, I think that in that capacity reminds me a little bit of Jared cook, the uh, former saints and Packers tight end um, who's very athletically talented and has only grown into his uh, level of consistency in the past three to four years after starting off as kind of a phenomenon who, who really couldn't um, play consistent football as a receiver. Um, Adam, Adam Troutman out of Dayton is my third ranked um, tight end. And he comes from a very, you know, it's a very small school. um, But I thought that he had the most upside potential as a, um, as a tight end um, who can block and catch and run after the catch. Um, And even though he came from a small school and people say, well, he has to prove that he can face top end athletes. One of the things that I like about the rookie scouting portfolio process is that, I tend to try and grade players based on the things that they can do to put themselves or their teammates in position to make positive plays. And if you can isolate what they do, not what other, what their teammates do or what the opposition does, um, you tend to get a clearer picture of the player. Um, And there are certainly certain exceptional um, um, factors where you have to look at the player, but there are fewer of them. I mean, look at the the opposition or the surrounding talent but there are a few of the fewer of them than people characterize. Um, and so when I look at Trotman, I think that he does have potential to develop into a good starter. He's very smooth um, in terms of being with the movements that he makes. He has some skill. He has more skill. He's shown more skill getting away from press coverage and, and tight coverage with using his hands and feet than a lot of re, um, tight ends that I've seen in um, the higher levels of college football. Um, so I'm a big fan of, of, what he can do, and I think that he has a chance to be a good tight end in this league. Amazing. This
2: has been, I mean, it's... They say every day is a school day. I feel like I've taken an entire semester of, <laughs> of football over the last, I don't know how long we've been talking, uh, far longer than we uh, asked you to come on for. So uh, really uh, appreciate the lesson. I know the lesson, uh, I know the listeners will really appreciate this as well and have learned a lot. So why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find you, um, where they can buy a copy of the RSP, where they can interact with you and ask you questions, uh, watch your videos, etc.
0: Sure. Um, you can find the easiest way to find the RSP is to go to mattwaldman.com. Just my name you see on the on the screen there with dot com. And that's my sales page. It looks different than my website because, well, I was an entrepreneur doing this and When I first started this out, you know, I was getting more savvy about what I was doing. So if you go to mattwaldmanrsp.com, you'll find all my content there and you'll find a a page that can take you back to mattwaldman.com and and get the RSP. But mattwaldman.com has, um, you know, sample videos of what the RSP looks like to give you a tour of, you know, past past publications to see what you're getting. um, And that's where the sales page is you can find um, my videos that I do, my analysis videos that range in anywhere from a couple minutes in length to an hour in length, depending on what I'm looking at, whether I'm doing a deep dive on to a tag of Iloa, or I'm just doing an aspect of say, you know, um, you know, um, Deandre Swift's game, some small detail. Um, and I have over 500 videos up there, some with NFL players, some with former NFL players and, and, there, that's Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room on, on on YouTube. You can follow me at Twitter at Matt Waldman, and I sometimes show videos there. But I always have a running list of content that I've provided at my site, at my um, YouTube channel, and my podcast, Matt Waldman's RSP Cast, which is available at pretty much every outlet that's. Kind of well known in, in terms of where you can subscribe and download. And I do two different podcasts. One is called the RSP Quick Game, and that's with Mark Schofield. You're, you know, the guest that you've had on, who's just, you know, a fantastic guy and, and a terrific analyst of quarterbacks, and um, writes for the RSP site um, with me. And we cover a lot of um, NFL and college topics, and try and do it in quick fashion, at least during the year. Then we slow it down a little bit during the off season. And then I do another one called RSP cast, or excuse me, the RSP um, scout talk with Russ Landy, who's a former NFL scout with the Rams and the Browns and is currently an NFL scout, or excuse me, a current Canadian football league scout um, with the Calgary Stampeders, which is the championship team um, or one of the the best teams in that league. And they've been, they've won a number of championships. Um, So he scouts for them. And we just talk about how we evaluate talent, how, other scouts evaluate talent? What are some of the interesting kind of tidbits and nuggets that we learn from evaluating players? And we talk about some of the players that caught our eye each week or every other week that we do this. Um, so that's really the gamut of what I do with the rookie scouting portfolio. And again, if you if you like it and and you get it and you decide you like it and you have questions, you can contact me at mattwaldmanrsp at gmail.com. And I try to get to them within 24, 48 hours um, in terms of answering questions where I can, and um, and you know obviously I try my best to do that where I where I can do so. And feel free to drop me a line if you'd like.
3: Like Murph said, this has been an absolute lesson in football and it's it's been an inspiration to me to make sure I go and watch more tape, go and listen to, to more podcasts, go and read more stuff because knowledge is power in absolutely everything in life. And I, I've thoroughly enjoyed the last however long we've been on the air, Matt. So thank you so much for coming on. and massively appreciate your
0: time. Well, it was absolutely my pleasure. And, and thank you for having me on. And, I, and I'm glad that we got to do this. Absolutely. Same.
2: And perhaps when it's a bit quieter uh towards the season we might get you on again and just have another chat and uh you can continue to uh grow our education
0: um i would be well it would be it would be fun to be able to do that and just to um you just reach out to me and let me know and worst case scenario we'll hook up this time next year or we'll do or we'll do something another time if it isn't december we'll we'll shoot for january or we'll shoot for november whatever i mean we'll figure it out perfect awesome
3: okay. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, guys. As always, mate, this has been an absolute pleasure. Rush Nation, like the RSP, this is an absolute monster. I've enjoyed every second. Until next week, you stay safe and don't forget, keep rushing.